What's wrong with you people? Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast. This morning we are Hensley Free. He is preparing for his annual meeting at the Collin Baptist Association, so pray for him as he uh, prepares uh, for that meeting. Um, but also pray for the association because they have to live with Matt as a DOM AMS every single day. So, uh, But also, it's a good thing he's not with us because as an Astros fan, I think he would be absolutely insufferable at this point. Um, so, uh, Matt is not with us this morning, but I am joined by Jason Thacker. And uh, so, Jason, welcome to the show. It's good to have you on today. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do uh, at the ERLC and, and Southern Seminary, and uh, then we're going to dive in and talk a little bit about a, a new book that you have out. Yeah. Well, Kyle, thanks so much for having me. I do miss Matt. I like Matt, even though he's an Astros fan <laughs> um, and a little insufferable about Texas in general. I'm a Tennessean <laughs> at heart, so we always remind uh, our te- our fellow Texas brethren uh, that they're the first colony of Tennessee. Uh, we were the that only reason that they're in existence. So that many is, of that the is great, absolutely true. <laughs> many of the great Texans are actually Tennesseans uh, originally. So, uh, no, it's a real joy to be with you this morning. I appreciate all the work that you guys do here on the podcast. As you said, my name is Jason Thacker. I serve as Chair of Research and Technology Ethics, as well as the Director of the Research Institute at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And for most of us, we're probably familiar, but for those who may not be, the ERLC is the public policy arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. So we speak to moral, political, and social issues of our day and bring a gospel lens and a biblical lens to say, how do we as Christians, specifically Southern Baptists, navigate a lot of the big pressing challenges of our day? Whether it's human dignity issues, issues of religious freedom, religious liberty, international issues, human rights, biblical justice. Um, There's just a host of issues, uh, including marriage and sexuality issues, that we address. And part of what I get to do in my role is kind of oversee all of Christian ethics and the research that we do at the URLC. And then specifically kind of focus on on a technology element, uh, which is a part of all of the other issues that we focus on. Uh, When we talk about issues of abortion and same-sex marriage and gender and sexuality issues, uh, justice issues, there's always an element of technology in these. And so it's not really a new area or a separate area from all of the other work we're doing. It's actually helping us to deepen the areas and the research and the work that we do in all of these various uh, components of our work. Um, And so it's a real joy to be able to lead that. And I also serve at Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky as an adjunct instructor in worldview and apologetics focusing on ethics, philosophy, and the public square. I really enjoy being able to do that as uh, part of my teaching responsibilities. Cool. Well, thanks. So, as I was telling you before we came on, I've not read uh, the the new book, uh, Following Jesus in a Digital Age, but I was introduced to you. I was walking through a Mardell bookstore one day and checking out the bargain section. And, and there was this book <laughs> called The Age of AI. That, and it caught my eye because I was thinking, you know, is this going to be like a, a – so in, in Christian bookstores, you just never know. And so in the bargain section, you, you just – you don't know what you're going to get. And so I'm like, is this like some fantasy novel? Is this like, <laughs> you know, an oh my gosh, robots are taking over? Um, and so I picked it up, you know, flipped it over and, and read – that's where I found your name and – and the, you work at the ERLC, and so I went. Okay, so so this guy's probably sane, and um, and and I really just appreciated the way you approached technology in in that book, and the way that that as I told you before we came on, you were 
I think um, you, you expressed some concerns, but you weren't alarmist about it. And and so, I mean, to, to our listeners, I highly recommend that one as well. It just helps you understand kind of the way that um, that AI is already at work in the world around us, and and the fact that no pro- robots probably aren't going to take over at some point. <laughs> um, so, so your new book, I think, uh, dealing with the the technological space that you deal with. It's clear that technology is not going away. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, exactly. these things are here to stay. Social media, in some form, is probably here to stay. Um, all the all the digital devices that we have um, were already a part of big part of our lives. COVID probably put the pedal down on that some because we mm-hmm. we moved to a, a, a for a lot of us a purely digital <laughs> workspace. Um, and so, as, as you t- as you began writing following Jesus in a digital age. Tell us a little bit about why you wrote it, who it's written for. Yeah, well, exactly right. And uh, I'm encouraged and also kind of, it's weird to see, uh, you know, the book ending up on a bargain <laughs> shelf at Mardell's, but um, I'm glad that you were able to pick it up. I mean, it is one of those things. It's not my first sci-fi novel. Um, I, I'm not a fiction writer by any means, um, but I'm a Christian ethicist and thinking through what do we as Christians and how do we as Christians think through a lot of the emerging technologies from AI to issues of uh, kind of augmentation and things like that that sound really futuristic and far off if we're honest. Um, but reality is, is that we're interacting and using these technologies every single day, um, especially AI, whether it's f- through our smart devices, smartphones, smart cameras, smart everything, or even to our social media feeds. Um, no, knowing that, and many of us kind of realize this now, but for those who don't, uh, much of what you see in your social media feed is not actually just the things the, that people you follow post. You might see accounts that you don't follow. You might not see things that your friends post or your followers post. It might be curated or personalized for you. Um, that recommendation algorithm, uh, an algorithm is an, another form or another uh, way to talk about artificial intelligence is that we live in an increasingly digitized and technological society. Every aspect of our life, especially through the pandemic, has been incredibly digitized and kind of of formed around technology. And so in the first book, um, it was really funny because I I do read the feedback and I do read some of the reviews um, of my work. In the first work, I was criticized by a lot of people for not being negative enough. I was too optimistic. And then interestingly on this book, written with the same kind of tone, very similar in terms of how I go about the project in general, going a little bit deeper specifically in a number of issues in terms of social media and kind of digital culture, I was told that I was way too positive. And the really interesting thing there is, or excuse me, I was way too negative. Um, It kind of depends on who reads it. Uh, Do they think that I'm an optimist or kind of... um, um, kind of negative towards technology or overly negative towards technology. And so it's really interesting to me is the reason I wrote this book specifically following Jesus in a digital age was to address some of the questions that I wasn't able to address in the first book. So at the first book comes out and a lot of questions I'm asking, how do we think about technology proper? Not just artificial intelligence, but kind of the wider swath of technology because reality is, is technology is not new. We tend to think of technology as computers and smartphones and kind of digital devices. But in reality, technology's always been with us. God gave us a creative ability. He made us in his image. And then part of that image-bearing capacity that we have is that we do often make things. Uh, We make tools. 
and we use those tools to augment and kind of uh, make our work more efficient, convenient, make us more effective in the things we do. So whether it's a shovel and a hoe all the way up to what I would argue is the most influential and kind of revolutionary pieces of technology in history is actually the printing press. Very manual in some sense, but it changed everything about our culture. And so I, I do believe that we have entered into a new kind of technological age or a digital age in the sense that everything is changing. And if we start to look at technology as simply just a tool, which is, I think, what most of us do, we say, oh, it's my smartphone. I use it for good things, but I use it for bad things. Or I have my computer and I use it for good things and it can be used for bad things. And so we kind of take this very neutral approach. We say that technology is just merely a tool that we use. It all depends on the agent. It all depends on the person who's using these tools and if they use them for good or bad. But the interesting thing is, is that technology is a lot more complicated than that. And in my work and the research and specifically what I do in the book is kind of unpacking this bigger idea that technology is actually changing us. It's actually shaping us. Um, in particular, it's shaping our view of God, how we understand who he is, and how we understand who we are as human beings created in his image, and then also how we interact with the world around us. And so while we do bear moral responsibility, we do bear um, agency, we have agency in that sense, um, that we're responsible for the ways we use these tools, they're also deeply forming and shaping us. And I'll say this as a quick example of that point. Um, I have two kids, so I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. When they were a little bit younger, we had a wooden tool set. Um, they loved this tool set, specifically this little wooden hammer. And if you remember, many listeners will remember that old adage, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I can prove to you that's true. Uh, looking at our walls and my head and my foot and my, uh, you know, my son's uh, heads, you know, everything turned into a nail. They would just use that little hammer to hit everything. Well, that's what it was designed for. It had a purpose. It had an intention. And in many ways, it had certain values kind of inherent in it to hit things. That was what it was designed for. Uh, one of my friends, Jacob Schatzer, who teaches at Union University, updates that adage, and I love this. He says, it's not just when it, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Today, it's more so uh, when you have a smartphone with a camera, everything looks like a status update. And what he means by that is this sense that these tools that we utilize every single day, from the, often the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, something that I would venture to say is within about a foot of all of us right now, is our cell phones, our smartphones. So much so that even a foot away or so um, isn't close enough. So many of us get smart devices like smart watches and we start to incorporate technology into every single aspect of our life. The big question of this book, Following Jesus in a Digital Age, is what is technology and how is it shaping and forming you? And so Romans 12, 2, Paul is saying, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When he says, do not be conformed to this world, he's not questioning, you know, if you're being conformed to this world. No, he's assuming you are being conformed to this world. And the world in which we inhabit, the world in which God has placed us is very digi digitized and kind of technologically savvy. We utilize these tools. So the question for us is to slow down amidst a lot of the speed and efficiency and convenience of our day to ask some of these big questions in light of our faith. And say, what is technology? How is it forming and shaping me? How is it conforming me? And then what do we do about that as Christians? 
Yeah, that's good. And you, you mentioned that I was, I was joking or I was thinking my yeah, my cell phone is literally like about a foot right now from my yeah, from mine, my mine is too, and it literally is turned <laughs> over. But then I have my Apple Watch on my. Yeah, I know, arm yeah, it's buzzing. Just in case and- I and just in case I get a notification or just in case I miss something. Yeah, and there's often a tendency even that we. We want to pick it up and see if we've missed something. We yes. don't even get a notification or a buzz, but we're like, oh, maybe I'm missing something. And yeah. that's where I want to say something is going on that's deeper than just this tool that we use. It's actually shaping and conforming us and altering how we think about the world around us is that we're always missing something. There's like this low level anxiety that, well, I've got to check social media. I need to check this. I need to check my email. Well, what? Why? Why is that the case? That didn't used to be the case. We didn't have these devices. So what is it about the devices that's forming and shaping us and kind of conforming us to the, to the world? Yeah. Now, so, so the Bible obviously doesn't speak specifically to the issue of technology, certainly not digital technology, because it, it was written in, in a world in which the, the technological devices that we have didn't exist. But the issues existed. And so how are some of the the digital realities, the the digital challenges, complexities that we face, how have those been building for a long time? And how can the Bible, for for a believer who who says, you know, I want to apply scripture to to specifically this area of my life, I want to live with wisdom when it comes to the technology that we use. How does the Bible speak to these realities and these challenges that we see? Yeah, I think it comes to no surprise to anyone uh, who's fairly even familiar with their Bible that you can't do a word search. I used to say concordance, but none of us use a concordance <laughs> now. We always use some word search tool, which is another form of technology yeah. that has great benefits. But maybe we should ask, what is that doing to us? Um, that's a, another conversation for another day. But in the sense of you can't go and find smartphone technology tool uh, artificial intelligence, social media in the Bible. Paul never wrote about it. Jesus never spoke about it. The Old Testament definitely does not addressing those type of things. So that leads many of us to believe that somehow the Bible doesn't speak to the pressing issues of our day, which some non-Christians specifically will use that, not just technology, but they'll say, well, the Bible doesn't address most of the pressing issues and questions we have today. So how is this a sustainable uh, an ethic for life? for all of life. And when I say ethic, I think some of us naturally go to some of that kind of some of those weird ethical questions and conundrums that we get all tied up in knots philosophically. And we're like, how do we address this? Reality is, is that ethics, especially Christian ethics is just the way of life. It's just the Christian life. You're making moral and ethical decisions every day, all day long. And I will argue, especially amongst Southern Baptists, that almost all of the questions and some of the debates that we have, even in our convention, are actually ethical questions, or social ethics in particular. Um, often we are very, we're united probably on 95 to 99% of the doctrinal issues. Uh, we're all united in lockstep on. What we see some of the questions and some of the debates on are actually issues of ethics, which is the, the way of life, the decisions that we're making each and every single day. And so one of the things that in terms of, you know, saying the Bible doesn't really speak to these things, it actually does because it's offering us ethical guidelines and principles about how we're to organize our life, what's the purpose of our life, the way that we go about our life. And so one of the things that we see throughout the Bible is there is kind of this uh, stream throughout the scripture. It's not, a, it's not a primary theme. I might even say it's not even a secondary theme, but there is this idea that God created us in his image 
He created us with creative abilities that we make tools and that we use those tools uh, for good purposes, to honor the Lord, to love the Lord our God um, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves, which is the theme, the basis, the summation of the Christian ethic uh, from old to new. And so we do see that we are we have the ability to do those things, but we also see that go awry really quick, whether it's the Tower of Babel, whether, you know, but right before that, you see Noah's Ark and Noah is using these tools to create this Ark that is going to save God's people and rescue them from the great flood. And you see this throughout the scriptures, even David and Goliath with the, the, um, the stone and the, um, the sling and how he used that to, and the Lord used him to save his people and to remind them of the Lord, their God and how he cares for them and provides for them and will always protect them. So you see this throughout, but it's the way people are using these tools. But it is altering the way that we use and kind of think about the world around us. Think about the Tower of Babel even. Um, that gave people this ability, not only these abilities, but there's there's this confidence that they can be like God, that they can rebel, that they can reach to the heavens. And God says, no, that's not going to happen. You're utilizing these tools, these technologies for evil ends, for destructive purposes, for rebellious purposes. And so we see this kind of ethic of love. And I say that with kind of clarifying what I mean by that. It's not just the modern conception of love, which is accepting and affirming of everything, kind of this ultimate tolerance and affirmation. Biblical love is different. Biblical love encapsulates, it's loving God and loving our neighbors ourselves. but biblical love, biblically defined, is specifically about speaking the truth of God, this, these are the rich theology doctrine, these uh, beliefs about God, and pairing that with our actions. So actually the two kind of primary aspects of the Christian life is our beliefs and our action, our theology and our ethic. And you know where that is just really beautifully laid out where we see this connection is actually the wisdom literature, which is what I focus the entire book on. Um, it's all, it's striking to me if you go read the book of Proverbs that's talk, talking about cultivating biblical wisdom and discernment. It's never about cowering from speaking truth. It's always speaking truth and love and compa- combining that with our action about how we're to live in light of these truths. And so the beautiful thing, you go read Proverbs, you get into the New Testament in terms of some of the wisdom literature like James. You read this and you're like, I'm pretty sure if you read that today, you're like, I'm pretty sure he's talking about Twitter. Like, that's almost what it feels like. Now, granted, obviously, Paul's not doing that. That that would be eisegesis. That's not what we're doing here. But it is really interesting, like James 1.19, to where to be slow to speak, slow, slow to anger, and quick to listen. That sounds like the exact opposite, especially of Baptist Twitter at times. Because we get into this idea that we need to be quick to speak, we need to be quick to anger, and very slow to listen. And that's one of the things how technology is shaping and forming us is it's altering how we see God, how we see ourselves in the world around us. But it's specifically, and these are the remaining kind of three chapters. This is a really short book. Um, This is supposed to be accessible for all people. This isn't for just ministry leaders and pastors and academics. It's actually for all of us. But I get into how technology is shaping our perception of truth, how it's shaping our perception of ethics and morality and kind of responsibility in the digital age, and then specifically in terms of community um, and how we view kind of our identity in Christ, but also our identity as the body of Christ amidst a lot of the polarization and tribalization of our day. Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point. I mean, so you know, the quick quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. The social media has just created such a unique 
platform. It's, it's not created new problems. It's just exactly. given us new avenues to um, recreate old problems. But, but I do think there's a, there's an aspect where, you know, when it's depersonalized through, you know, you would never say things um, to a person face to face that, that we would say over text message or through, you know, a social media exchange or something yeah. like that. And uh, so I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that that's, that, that's something that, that pastors really need to think through, you know, cause you can, you can ruin a witness, you can ruin relationships really quickly by uh, something you put on social media. But also we need to help our pastors need to help their people understand that as well, that you can't divorce uh, who you are in person and following Christ and the things you do and say on social media. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> those, right. the, those, those go in together. So as we learn more about the digital age that, that we live in, and, and as I mentioned earlier, and as you've, um, you've talked about this, this isn't going away. The, you know, digital technology is, is not a fad. It's, it's going to be an ongoing reality. And, and we're probably really just scratching the surface of what we're going to see in the next 20, 30 years in our lifetime. Um, so at, at times Christians can become overwhelmed, maybe even discouraged. So why do you seem so hopeful about the church in this digital age? Yeah. So it's funny because depending on who's reading my book and who's reviewing it at the time, uh, he's really, <laughs> maybe you're not so hopeful, right? <laughs> it doesn't seem very hopeful. And then in the flip side, and they're like, oh, he's overly hopeful. And what I try to say and what I try to do in my work is to be very realistic. And when we try to be re really realistic, we realize that technology itself is not good or bad, but it's also not neutral. Um, it has values. It has a purpose, a design, often from the people who are making the technology and also how they want you to utilize these technologies. Um, and so for pastors and ministry leaders specifically, you might feel kind of overwhelmed. Um, it's, an, it's, it's interesting coming out of COVID, um, you see a lot of isolation, you see a lot of burnout, uh, you see this kind of uh, high anxiety um, and loneliness. And I'm talking about all of us, but then when you really look at the pastor that's an incredible kind of plague that's happening amongst our churches and our pastors right now. And so when many pastors and ministry leaders hear something like this, or they're talking about technology, like, oh, it's another thing I have to focus on. And they just add it to the to-do list of things that they have to do, talk about, teach about, etc. And what I want to say is because, and I'll say this as an aside too, I've heard from countless pastors over the last few years about the rise of conspiracy theories and misinformation and fake news and how that's affecting their ministry, how that's affecting the, the cohesiveness and the unity of their church. And so what I do in the very end of the book, and this is specifically for ministry leaders and pastors, there's a, a note for leaders. And I, I want to speak directly to you, leader, uh, to you, pastor, because I know that it feels overwhelming. Um, I don't serve in pastoral ministry proper, but I serve in my local church. I love my local church. I love my pastors. And I want to care for ministry leaders and pastors because you have a new calling and role. And so what I do in that is to kind of give some guidance and some tips about how to not only think about this in your own life, but specifically think about this in the life of your church. Um, because I'm not asking and I'm not encouraging, actually, uh, you to do some kind of topical sermon series on technology and the digital age and spend five or six weeks. You may do that. Maybe that's great for your context. Maybe it's not. But maybe as you're just preaching through the word of God, line by line, word by word, verse by verse, you're actually making some applications to our digital age. You're making some applications of why Christians uh, are to uphold truth. 
We are not to lie. Uh, we're not to speak uh, mistruths. We're to always be honoring God and loving our neighbor by speaking the truth of God, not cowering from the truth uh, to for some kind of weird social acceptance or something like that, but to be bold in proclaiming the truth, but also be full of grace. And so there's a lot of those type of applications throughout the book, but I wanted to make sure I highlight that appendix to say this is specifically for you leaders. But as we think through, one of the people will say, well, a lot of people will say, well, you seem really hopeful and optimistic about technology. Look at all the dangers. Look at all the, the bad parts of technology. And I say, yes, I see that. But as Christians, our hope is not in this world. And so when we start to think through as Christians, how do we navigate the challenges before us? One, exactly what you've already pointed out, Kyle, these are not new issues per se. They feel like new issues. They feel novel. But in reality, they're the same age-old questions being asked in light of new opportunities. I write about how technology is, it, it expands our moral horizons. And what I mean by that is that it expands what we think is possible. But at the end of the day, our sinful, rebellious hearts are still there. We're, but we're kind of uh, able to live these things out and do things that we once weren't able to do or to do them at a scale that we once weren't able to do, whether it's speaking to the tens of followers that we have or thousands of followers that we have. We can do things at a scale and at a pace and a rate that we couldn't in previous generations. So there's, a, a, there's something that we need to kind of take serious about that. But our hope is actually rooted in the fact that Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is currently sitting on the throne, meaning we should be almost these kind of eternal optimists, not maybe in our current situation because things are difficult. There are massive challenges before us, but we do so. We engage those places from an, uh, the mindset of, of kingdom people who Jesus is sitting on the throne. Nothing is going to change that story. The end of the story is written. It's done. It's over. The victory has been won. So from that place of hope, then we engage the challenges of our day so we can be very hopeful and optimistic because God is God. God is the Lord. Uh, he is the one who created us. He is the one who called us to live in this age. And he does so from a place of hope. This is what we see throughout the wisdom literature. It's reminding us of these eternal truths so that when we face the chaos of the day, when we face the challenges of the day, we can do so from a place of hope. But it's a realistic hope. Not only a realist of knowing what's happening, what's going to happen in the end, but also in the midst of this is that God is not surprised by any of this. Uh, he's not like taken back and going, I don't really know what to do here. You guys need to kind of figure this out. That's like the complete opposite of what he is and who he is. Uh, he's the sovereign God. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. Like he's, he is the Lord God Almighty. And so in light of that, he calls us to live and to model uh, things that not always are going to give us kind of the temporary gain. Uh, we see this throughout the scriptures, or specifically in the Proverbs, about uh, kind of storing up our treasures in heaven. We see that in Matthew. We see in Proverbs about this idea of uh, what's gained kind of in quickly, and it's, it's very temporal, but it's not these eternal rewards. So we may not, quote, win in the short term, but we do win in the long term. In the sense, and it's not we who win, it's the Lord who wins. And so that's what I try to do throughout the book is to place this kind of hopeful understanding about saying, look, you're not going back to yesteryear. Now, yesteryear wasn't as great as we often think it was um, because oh, we're separated and we're isolated from it and we're kind of cut off and don't realize, hey, they had some pretty substantial challenges of their day as well. So maybe going back to the quote 50s actually isn't that good for us. There's actually a lot of benefits of being here in the, tw in the 20s or I guess I would say 20s now, it's 2020, uh, 2022. But the idea is there's a lot of benefits of the day, but there's also a lot of challenges. So instead of having these kind of nostalgic look back, let's have this kind of hopeful look forward 
and saying, God has placed us, he's equipped us, he's given us his word that is good and sufficient for the task ahead of us. And so I think that's the place of hope that we engage a lot of the technology of our day. So Jason, as we begin to wrap up here, what are, if you could kind of boil down, you know, one or two quick takeaways that you hope folks have after they finish reading the book, what would those be? I think, and it kind of sounds trite to say this, but it's something that uh, I unpack a lot throughout the book, is one of the biggest things you can do, not only as individuals, but also our churches and our families, is to slow down. Technology wants us to go faster, 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 to make everything more convenient, more efficient. Um, But biblical wisdom is causing us to slow down, to do things maybe that's inefficient. Wisdom is not efficient. We see that that it takes a long time. It's uh, patterns that are formed over um, not just days, but weeks and months and years. So much so that the Proverbs speak of the glory of gray hair. And wow, we should look kind of look forward to that. Um, I'm starting to go a little gray myself, and I kind of say, maybe that's a little bit of wisdom and maturity, maybe a little bit of discernment by God's grace. Um, but slowing down. Technology wants us to go faster. The Christian faith causes us to slow down, to question, to ask the big questions about what is technology? How is it forming and shaping us? And then from that place, we can address a lot of the pressing issues of our day. That's great. Well, um, Following Jesus in a Digital Age, published by B&H Books, available everywhere. Books are sold, Lifeway, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, and uh, so you'll definitely want to check this out. Jason, thank you so much for being with me today. Um, sorry that Matt missed it. Um, he's doing other things. Um, but, you know, the, the beauty of technology allows us even to do things like podcasts, right? Exactly. And, and you know be in Nashville and in Lubbock, Texas, and be able to do these things uh, together. And so uh, it's fantastic. Thank you for helping us think through this. And pastors, this will be a a wonderful tool for you and for your people, especially those who are raising kids in the digital age as well. Uh, Jason, thanks for being here. Thank you for listening. And until next time, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare. What's wrong with you people?